Welcome to Unpopular Fitness Ideas. Last week, I decided to film my first podcast episode solo with no scripting, no guest, no nothing. Just me wanting to ramble because I woke up in a chatty mood. Today, I'm not necessarily in a chatty mood, but I kind of have to film an intro for this. I have to introduce this new project of mine in some shape or form. And so yesterday, as I was brainstorming a little bit and I was thinking about what to call my podcast and what I even wanted it to be about, I quickly realized that I want to talk about unpopular ideas. I want to talk about the ideas or the topics that don't necessarily make it to the top of the algorithm, the things that go unnoticed and the things that are taken for granted or the things that people don't think are as important or they feel shame around or they don't feel like they should be able to share. And that's exactly why I've decided to call this podcast Unpopular Ideas. Now, I'll still revolve a lot around health and fitness and nutrition and the gym because a lot of that is just me. A lot of my identity, my identity complex rolls around that. So that's not going to go. But that's exactly what I want this podcast to be. And popular ideas, you know, growing up entrenched in diet culture, growing up with an eating disorder since I was a very young girl and making my way through social media or trying to. There's so many ideas that are just not shared. And there's so much that people don't talk about because the people at the top of the industry don't want to talk about. I'm not here to expose anyone. I'm just here to talk about things that, that should probably have more importance. I'm just here to give credit to things that probably have more importance than, you know, what people praise most. But anyways, regardless, this is a safe space and it's the voice of the unvoiced, the underappreciated and the underrated. Hi guys, welcome to, I guess, the first episode of my podcast, which I don't know what it's going to be called. I don't know what it's going to be about. And I'm just filming with a, not even a duvet, more of a very thin blanket over me because apparently I've read that that's good for the sound or something. Yeah. Bottom line is I woke up today about half six in the morning and I was in one of those moods that all I want to do is talk. Like I could talk for days. If you invited me to a podcast, if you threw me onto an Instagram live or anything, I could just talk. And I realized that I'm in those moods when I'm sat alone and I start talking. I start talking about topics, about potential presentations. I even tell stories about something that happened to me. I know that sounds a bit crazy. I don't know if anyone does that, but I do. And I realized, oh wait, Marta, this might be a good chance for you to film an episode. So today's a Thursday. It's already 9am. So I guess I've been awake for almost three hours. And I want to talk about the concept of brain over binge. I've quite literally been binging on the book Brain Over Binge, which I actually bought when I was 16. I remember that I saw it somewhere online. It was recommended to me. I don't remember, but I bought it. And at the time, I just recently told my parents that I was suffering with bulimia. It was the first time I ever told them. And I'd been suffering for quite a few years now. And I remember I started reading it and I didn't understand anything. I felt like it was out of my depth. I didn't understand it. And I just left it. I never went back to it again. I never read it again. I probably didn't finish it. And I just, you know, continued engaging in my eating disorder. I guess I wasn't ready to deal with recovery. I wasn't ready to come out of the mindset of dieting, of just engaging in my eating disorder. And so I just threw it out. I didn't care about it. But anyways, I digress. Today, I want to talk about that book because after eight years, 
no, seven years. I'm 23 now. I've picked up the book again and I've seen it a lot on social media recently. Loads of people in the fitness space, especially. And I picked it up again. And for the first time in about three years, I've started to see the concept as binging as a habit, a habit I've developed since I was 13. That's a very strong habit because it's a habit that's been lasting 10 years. And there's no denying that binging brings shame and guilt and really low body image. And there's no denying that a lot of the things that triggered my eating disorder are related to family dynamics, to my confidence or lack of, to my lack of self-awareness, to ideas in my family about what one should look like or comments or just ways in which I relate, a desire to control. There's no denying that. But as I read this book, this woman, I think she's called Catherine, she talks about binging and her bulimia as just being a habit. She said that therapy didn't work for her, that there was no deep emotional reason for her to binge, that there was no desire to control and be obsessed with food and that to be a representation of her desire to control and be perfect. And I think for the first time, as I said, in about three years, I've looked at my binge eating as just that, a habit, a very strong one that I can't seem to break. And so I want to talk a little bit about it because I thought, look, there's people who might have read the book, there's people who have might not read the book, but I want to have my take on it. As I've been reading the book, I've had a lot of questions that I almost want to direct to Catherine. And I think I want to explore that today. I don't really know how to do a podcast and I've never done one. And yeah, I don't know. I have no one to ask questions and I have no one to talk about this. So I don't really expect an answer, but it's just food for thought. But I think the underlying concept here is really important and one that if you struggle with binge eating, regardless of whether you also suffer from other mental health issues, it might be helpful because if we can get rid of binge eating, then it's a step like we're doing good. Anyways, as I say, I digress. So I'm just going to go over the concept of the binge restrict cycle. So if you struggle with an eating disorder or if you know of anyone that struggles with an eating disorder, it starts by restricting your food. Whether it's intentional because you want to go on a diet and you want to lose weight or it just happens and you start restricting food and that becomes obsessive and it's a need to control and you don't even want to lose weight, but things just happen. The reality is that you yourself, you start restricting food. And the more you do that, the more obsessed you become with that and the more you want to control food. Whether that is by over-exercising and eating really little or by not eating at all, it doesn't really matter. The point is that you are starving your body. You are restricting your food intake severely and you are doing this for a continuous amount of time. Eventually, what this is going to do to your brain is quite fucked, to be honest. It's going to make you hyper-focus on food so much that all you're going to want to eat is a junk food because those are the hyper palatable foods. Those are the foods that have most calories. They're going to be the ones that are going to satiate you most. They're high in sugar, high in salt, high in fat, high in carbs. They just have all the calories packed up in a really tiny amount of surface area, which means they're going to give you the most energy for the size, if that makes sense. So you're going to start thinking about these foods. You're going to want these foods. And the more you think about them, the more you're going to restrict them because in your head, you're restricting. You don't want to eat these foods. You're like, these are bad. These are bad. These are bad. Plot twist, they're not. <laughs> and what happens? Eventually, your survival instincts just throw you off. They take over what you want and they binge or they make you binge. 
whether that is because you lose control over it, because you are in a situation where you just can't resist it anymore, you end up binging. Now, what happens after that is that your body is just happy. It's relieved. You're like, fuck, yes, finally got the food. This feels great. And if anyone remembers their first binge, this might be really relatable. However, what you do after that is feel guilt. You feel shame. This is bad. I can't eat this many calories. I can't eat this much. So what you naturally do is restrict whether you induce your vomit because you're bulimic, whether you overexercise to the point where you're exhausted, or you continue to severely restrict your food intake, you technically purge. By this, I mean that you try to undo the damage when really there was no damage. It was just a survival instinct that is trying to keep you alive. And then you continue to restrict. And so the cycle continues. Your survival instincts, again, they become hyper-focused on food and eventually you binge again. The more you do this, the stronger that urge to binge is going to become and the less in control you're going to feel. The less in control you feel, the more you're going to want to control the food, the more you're going to want to restrict, the more you're going to struggle with the idea that food is bad and good. Now, what I just described is the binge purge cycle. So what the book Brain Over Binge argues is that if you end the binge restrict cycle, you then have something called a habit. Does it matter that you stop restricting food or that you stop purging your food, restricting your food or over-exercising? If you've binged for a long amount of time, you've created a habit. And so you have to break that habit. It doesn't matter whether you started restricting because you have childhood trauma. It doesn't matter that you started restricting because you're a perfectionist, because you have a need to control, because you have attachment issues. It doesn't matter because the reality is once you've formed the habit, it doesn't matter why you get an urge to binge. What matters is that you've gotten an urge. And so what you have to deal with to stop binging is not all this trauma. It's not all of these childhood issues. It's the urge. Now, how do you do that? Well, the first thing that you need to do is to stop restricting your food. You need to stop dieting. You need to stop being obsessive around food. You need to start eating enough calories throughout the day to maintain your physical activities. But then also, you need to make sure that you're not compensating every time you binge. Now, this is a really hard thing to do. One, starting to eat more food when you're used to restricting is hard because you're scared that you're just going to gain all the weight. That's part of the process. And two, letting go of that safety blanket of compensating after you binge is also hard because you're going to say, well, if I'm no longer restricting, I'm no longer over-exercising and I'm binging, I'm just going to become a whale. And these are true thoughts. You know, I've been there, but you have to do it. This is an integral part of recovery. You have to up your food. You have to stop compensating. Just keep ensuring that you're eating enough food and that you're telling your survival instincts, actually, we're safe. You don't need to do this. That's going to help your future self. However, now you've got something else to deal with. And that's the habit that you've formed, your binging habit. Just because you eat enough food and just because you no longer compensate, urges are still going to be present. And this is going to be dependent on how long you've been doing this for. The more you've binged and for however long, the stronger those urges and that habit is going to be. And you've probably heard of the concept surfing the wave. I heard of this concept a long time ago. 
But just like the book explains, sometimes surfing the wave means you're fighting against it. It's like, have you ever gotten an urge to binge and you're like, fuck, this is unfortunate. <laughs> and you're just sat there fighting it. You're like, okay, but it wants me to go eat Cocoa Pops. Okay, but I don't want to. If I eat Cocoa Pops, it's going to be a binge. Okay, but I could just have one bowl. Okay, no, but I don't need a bowl because I had carbs this morning and I'm going to have carbs later on. And, you know, if I eat the Cocoa Pops, then it's going to spiral into a binge and blah, 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 blah. And at this point, you're so sucked into your emotions that you binge. What Catherine talks about is not surfing the wave. It's separating yourself from your survival instincts, which are faulty at this point because you don't actually need that much food to survive. You're already eating enough. And your higher brain, which is what you want. If you're binging, you probably don't want to binge. And so what you need to do is what Catherine calls the separation technique, where instead of fighting against the urge, getting emotional about it, trying to find an underlying reason, reacting to it, engaging with it. You separate yourself from it. You label that urge to eat large amounts of food as something that your survival instincts are used to doing because you've been doing it for so long. But when you know that you are giving your body enough food and you are not over-exercising, you are not compensating, you're not trying to become the smallest you, you know it's a fact that you don't need to eat all of that food to keep your body safe. And so all you have to do is acknowledge that that is there, that urge is there, but it's just junk. You don't have to react to it. You don't have to engage with it. It doesn't have to piss you off. You understand why it's there. You move on, keep going on your day and eventually you'll go because you're not engaging with it. You're not fighting against it. You're not trying to suppress it. You're not distracting yourself from it. Yeah, you can go for a walk. But don't go for a walk and try not to think about it. Just go for a walk and, you know, you'll think about it at some point. Just, oh, okay, yeah, that's my urge. That's because, you know, I've been doing this for like 10 years. Cool. And then you stop acting on your urges. And then, then you get really excited about it. You're like, fuck, yes. I just got over my urge. I didn't binge because I don't have to. And you get excited and you reinforce that positive behavior in your higher brain. And that part of your brain becomes stronger. But the one you didn't listen to, that becomes weaker. And the more you do this, the less urges you get. Now, what happens to your need to be perfect? What happens to your need to control? Your childhood trauma, your attachment issues. You know, why are you such an avoidant in your relationship? Why, why are you so needy? Why are you so emotional? Why, why can't you handle stress? I don't know. All of these questions are huge and they may have caused you to want to diet. They may have caused you to think that you had to be smaller to be worthy. They may have caused you to hyper-focus on your body because you didn't know how to deal with uncertainty. I don't know that. But the reality is that you don't need to figure all of these things out before you recover from binge eating because physiologically, once you give your body enough food, once you stop abusing it, through exercise, and you start resisting these urges to binge, at the end of the day, that's a habit. And you can work through that habit without working through all your other issues. Now, my question for Catherine is, what if she'd been able to figure all of this out if she hadn't gone to therapy for many years as she did? What if she'd been able to eat enough food if she hadn't had nutritionists supporting her, educating her about how much food someone needs? You know, what is a balanced meal? What is a balanced diet? 
what foods are going to keep her full for longer? What is going to increase her urges to binge and what's going to help it reduce it by simply keeping you full and giving you all the nutrients you need? Because I wonder if I just ate cereal all day, wouldn't my urges to binge be higher? I don't know. I'm using this concept so far so good. And I love it because I'm really getting in touch with my actual hunger and satiety levels because I can really spot that urge. I can really separate myself from it. But for someone that may not necessarily be able to get there yet, it might be useful to implement habits such as mindfulness into their routine of just getting more in touch with their bodies, you know, how things feel and how they feel in their body when they're eating instead of just mindlessly eating. And that seems like a lot of work to have to think about things every time before you eat. But perhaps if you struggle with separating yourself from the urge, if you separate yourself from the process of eating every time you eat, it might be a good time to ask yourself whether you're giving into an urge or whether you're generally hungry. How can you feel that hunger in your body? How do you feel mentally? You know, and these are things like feeling lightheaded, not being able to concentrate, having a blurry vision, being a bit cranky, and then having your stomach growling, being really low energy, feeling an empty stomach, noticing that your hunger is slowly coming. You know, it's not just really sudden. And when you have some time to kind of pause and think, right, what do I need? Sometimes that's really useful in just being able to separate yourself from, I guess, your lower and higher brain. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. I don't understand you know, neuroplasticity, neuroscience, like near well enough to almost be giving any of this advice. But it makes sense. And it makes sense in my head. And it makes sense when I coach. And it might make sense for you. Because there's a lot that we want to do. You know, there's the self-awareness and self-development. And there's improving ourselves and being a better partner and being a better friend. And there's so much work that we want to do. But sometimes we just have to take a step back and think, yeah, I want to do all of this work. But, you know, as Catherine says, is that recovery work or is that just life work? And that's a really valid question. And recovery is different for everyone. And I think that I went into recovery with this idea that I was going to come out a new person. And let me tell you, I've discovered a lot about myself, a lot about how I deal with relationships, romantic and friendship wise, how things affect me and what triggers me, and what I learned in childhood and was conditioned, you know, and what is me. I've learned a lot about myself. But after reading this book, I wonder, damn, could have I just worked through these urges almost by creating this much distance between them and me and be where I am now? Or would I be almost too attached to these emotional concepts and, you know, triggers and trauma would I be too entrenched in it to separate myself from it? I don't know. I don't know if using this concept alongside therapy would be more beneficial than using it alone, just because, you know, anxiety, depression, OCD, any mental illness is really valid. And, you know, psychotherapy and CBT, all of these therapy approaches have a time and place. But I really do wonder if they had time and place in just helping me get through my urges to binge. Because in my entire therapy experience, even though I went in talking about my binge issue, my bulimia, we never talked about the actual urge and managing it. It was always about like, 
okay, you've binged. What do you think triggered it? And then we go into that. And I think it's really, really helpful. Don't get me wrong. But it's just one of those that it's like, yes, it's helpful. And it helped me understand myself much more. But could I have, like, I just dealt with this in this way? I don't know. Regardless of what you decide to do, I would still encourage anyone to go to therapy. You know, it's emotional, it's hard, and it's really eye-opening. And sometimes it's just a really hard to swallow pill. It's great. And it helps you, you know, cope with life in better ways and do things that align with your values and not what other people want you to do and overcome people-pleasing, but also become kinder and just become a better human overall. But do I need to be a better human to recover from an eating disorder? I don't know. Regardless of what you decide to do, maybe try this and understand that your body is always trying to keep you safe, whether that is a response of your nervous system, which by the way, that comes from a hypothalamus, which by the way, it's your lower brain, (laughs) or whether that's, you know, your higher brain and it's your highest self and it's your true self, it's always trying to keep you safe. And your survival instincts, they've been wired since you were, you know, we were in the caves. When we were in the caves, we didn't have access to all this food and we didn't have a lot of the mental issues that we have today. So when our brain is programmed to almost exist 2000 years ago, but we're living in the modern world, we need to really connect to that higher brain and we need to really rationalize with those instinctive parts of us because they're irrational completely. So I guess that is my first episode of my podcast. I would love to have like a section where I'm like, guys, Q&A, what are we doing? But the reality is, I don't know who's going to listen to this. Like, I have absolutely no idea. And I'm just in a chatty mood. And I was talking about this concept. And then, yeah, I'd love to know what people think and what their experiences is with this. And if you want to find me on social media, my Instagram is Marta Valverde. And we can just chat on there and we can talk about things. But it's been a pleasure to talk into my phone under my blanket. And now I'm just going to go and, you know, go enjoy my day. And I hope you enjoy yours too. Thank you.